He's like a cockroach. Yes. Yes, he is. And I'm not sure which one I'd rather come face to face with, to be perfectly honest. Cockroach. Cockroaches are killable. I have done that many times. And I've eaten one too. I knew, damn it. I knew (laughs) she was going to do it. I knew it. I'm Chris. I'm Amy. And you're at the movies with the madams. Krista, if I do not sleep tonight, I'm blaming you. (laughs) Well, considering I saw John Carpenter's Halloween when I was six or seven years old, and I basically grew up in the Myers house, I can't really conjure up that much sympathy for you. Well, that's a you problem. (laughs) Hello, everyone. So as mentioned, we're tackling our first kind of classic today Hmm. with John Carpenter's original Halloween for Freddy Amy month. Yeah. Hey, at least you live in a high rise. True, but still not happening. It has been fun to watch your reaction to this movie, though, because just yesterday were saying to me, oh, God, this is so cliched. And I was like, no, it's not cliched. This is where the cliches come from. Yeah, but it's still the first time I'm experiencing this movie. Yes. So, yes. But you've got to understand that this is the foundation that started all those tropes. Even if John Carpenter didn't mean to, he's sorry, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) It certainly looks very low budget. Oh, yes. We're going to get into that. So Halloween stars Donald Pleasance. And introducing, of course, the great Jamie Lee Curtis. PJ Souls, who plays Linda. Nancy Keys. And Charles Cyphers, who is Sheriff Brackett. I don't know who's more surprised that you pronounced that correctly, you or me. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's a tie, probably. <laughs> I was like, damn it, how do I say this? So, of course, this movie was released back in 1978. And I want to give major credit to John Carpenter at the time, who understood that this movie, all about teenage girls, required a woman in the writer's room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Deborah Hill made a huge difference. So John Carpenter wrote all the dialogue for Loomis and the Sheriff, and Deborah Hill wrote the dialogue for the girls. Well, she certainly got the teenage girl's attitude right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've got a lot to say about these young ladies. <laughs> And some questions for our older listeners. Okay. So I don't specifically remember when I first met Michael Myers. He's just always been part of my consciousness since I was little. Like so many other movies, I saw this much too young. And it was pretty much a Halloween staple for me. They showed it a lot on AMC when I was a kid. And I don't remember if I saw first the true original cut. That may have been the AMC one, but any other networks, I do believe, showed the retcon version that they made specifically for TV. So big difference. Titties? Was that the difference? (laughs) So big difference is that they added in a few scenes to the TV cut of the original claiming that Lori was Michael's other sister. And she had been adopted. She was just a baby 
when Michael killed their older sister. That was the retcon. Why? That is an excellent question because they kind of ruin things. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. So that's one of the things I really loved about, about the new Halloween that came out a couple of years ago is that they completely wiped out that retcon. Mm-hmm. And that's actually one of the reasons we are covering Halloween today because Halloween ends on Friday. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to the movie, but I'm sure looking forward to the end of this month. So my torture is over. <laughs> I am looking forward to it. I'll definitely be seeing it. I really enjoyed what I'll call the first one. Jamie Lee, of course, was fantastic. And I thought Judy Greer was really good, too. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I will be dragging my husband and curling up into a ball against him and watching half of the movie through my fingers, as is my custom. <laughs> yeah, every Halloween, pretty much, I'd watch this and it would keep me up half the night for a couple of days after that, just thinking about the possibility of of Michael coming in, being out there on the corner, looking out my window. <laughs> would you be afraid of anyone wearing one of those jumpsuits? There would always be somebody in the neighborhood trick-or-treating as Michael Myers. They usually mm-hmm. wouldn't be very good because you also had to be mm-hmm. big to pull it off, you know? Right. So it wasn't until mm-hmm. I got older and maybe, you know, branched out a little with Halloween with friends that I would see some decent Michael Myers costumes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, anybody who goes all out with that shit, I'm running the other way. <laughs> You know, I've always heard the name Michael Myers, and of of course I've seen the picture of Michael, but I've never seen the movie. I just saw it like two days ago, and I say, ah, okay, now I get it. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right, so let's talk about that budget you mentioned. Mm -hmm. This movie was made in 1978 for $300,000. Okay. And it became one of the most profitable movies of all time. Forget indie versus big blockbuster most profitable period mm-hmm. because this movie grossed 70 million dollars worldwide wow on a 300k budget do that math everybody that is amazing yeah uh 69.7 million profit yep and carpenter smart man he took 10 grand for this movie up front took points on the back end he did just fine <laughs> I think of Halloween as like the ultimate DIY movie. Okay. From the way it was made to the plot itself. This is one of the simplest movies you could ever watch. Yeah, nothing much happens. Yeah. Hill and Carpenter were very smart because they did not overcomplicate this plot. Mm -hmm. And that was the point. It's so simple, but so effective. Yeah, it's simple, but it keeps building up on the dread. I think the music that they put in also makes a big difference. So Carpenter scored the movie himself Okay. in three days. Wow, okay. They wrote the script in 10 days. Uh-huh. They shot the movie in 20 days. So in about 45 days, they were done. Pretty much. <laughs> it's kind of nuts. Yeah. Imagine that happening today. I mean, we know Marvel has some tight fucking deadlines out there, but this is nuts. Yeah, yeah, this is crazy. If these were the timelines today, 
I don't think any CGI people would survive. No, no way. More than six months. Not that this movie needed any of that, or it existed at the time. So. True. Also very important, this movie was almost called The Babysitter Murders. Okay. And if it had been called The Babysitter Murders, I don't think we would be talking about it today. Yeah, possibly. Hashtag titles matter. (laughs) And this is even crazier. The cast chose and bought their own costumes. (laughs) Well, yeah, there isn't much of a costume change. It's just like two changes for the girls. Yeah, we'll talk about some of those costume changes. Yeah. (laughs) Got some boats to pick there. Mm -hmm. But I think this was especially smart for the girls because who knows better than what what teenage girls wear than teenage girls. True. And they know their characters the best. Yeah. And Jamie Lee was no snob. Apparently she got her costume or everything for under a hundred bucks at JCPenney. That's my girl. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't have anything super fancy. No, because Laurie Strode wouldn't. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the thing. Exactly. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis comes from friggin' Hollywood royalty. She could spend a thousand dollars if she really wanted to. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. So for our international listeners who might not be you know, as, as familiar, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is the daughter of Tony Curtis and Janet Lee, the star of Psycho, which is what gave her a lot of street cred to get this role. Yeah. I mean, well, scaring the shit out of people seems to run in the family. Yeah. Well, this was her first role. She was very nervous about it, but Carpenter liked the idea too, of having her in it, that lineage. Mm-hmm. Right. And she did a good job. Oh yeah. And he makes other homages too. Uh, Dr. Loomis is named after Sam Loomis in Psycho. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tommy Doyle, little guy, is named after a character in uh, Rear Window. Okay. Psycho, which I have unfortunately seen. <laughs> Don't you dare say unfortunately. It's a classic. <laughs> it is. It's a good movie, but you know, me. So did you notice any goofs watching this movie? A fair amount. Okay. I don't mean like plot holes necessarily, but Mm -hmm. like, oops, we left a palm tree in. I did not notice a palm tree. There are a couple palm trees that they couldn't hide because they filmed this in Pasadena. Okay, but what's wrong with palm trees? There are no palm trees in Illinois. Okay, all right. Yeah, but they did did a pretty damn good job of making Pasadena, Mm -hmm. California look like the Midwest in the fall. Okay. They actually imported like dead and dried leaves. <laughs> Is that not the most Hollywood thing you've ever heard? Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? <laughs> it's like, it's kind of, it's as crazy as Steven Spielberg making uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. I'm going to need about 8,000 more snakes. Stat. <laughs> For me, the biggest thing that I noticed was that Michael, when he's a baby, you know, popping his murder virginity, he's... You just you just mix popping his cherry with exactly, losing his yeah. virginity. That's a new element in this. Thank you for that. Well, there is a fair amount of sex in the movie too. So the height at which his eye level is supposed to be was changing. Mm-hmm. Like he was floating. Yeah, and the murder was just uh, wrong. It was just, it, it was not realistic at all. Yeah, 
Yeah, we're going to talk about that. I got some things to say there too. Mm -hmm. If you look closely, not only will you see a couple of palm trees, but you will also notice that all the license plates on the cars are California plates. Okay, I wouldn't notice that. I never noticed either. It was doing research for this episode that, you know, I came upon these bits of trivia. And I think it it says a lot that I never noticed before. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, when the girls drive five blocks and it goes from broad daylight to full darkness. Pitch black. Yeah, I never exactly. know. I never noticed before. <laughs> I noticed that like so much was happening and these kids were still awake. I was thinking, why are they not in bed yet? It should be midnight. It's Halloween. You let kids stay up. Because mm -hmm. you figure if they need to throw up from all their candy, better they do it, you know, not in their bed. Okay. See, these are the things I've never had to consider. I mean, that's how it goes. Halloween, the weather, you know, has an effect on how long you're out there and therefore how much candy you're able to collect. And it depends on where you live, too. Like in the Northeast, by October 31st, sometimes it can be damn chilly at night, mm -hmm. you know, aside from possible rain and whatnot. But yeah, so that's going to affect your candy gathering ability. There's a there's a real science to it. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, and then, of course, you got to bring it home. And back in my day, you know, put it all out. Make sure there's no razor blades in your candy. Because that was a thing all our parents believed, that there were razor blades hiding in candy. Mm-hmm. And fuck Halloween, too, for making so many people believe that people put razor blades in apples. Because that totally happens in the sequel. <laughs> Wait, who gives apples? Fucking witches. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so now I have a serious Halloween question. Okay. So when you get all this candy, is this like rationed out for the year then in terms of consumption? <laughs> this is America. generally no no i mean maybe there are some parents today rational parents today who may do that but when i was a kid oh no no you eat till you can't eat anymore and then because too you don't want your parents eating the damn candy and you know they're gonna parents cannot be trusted around halloween candy that's a fact okay but they can just buy more no it's not the same it's not the same. You gathered that candy. You you sweated for that candy behind your mask <laughs> or in your long johns, whatever it was. You worked for that damn candy. Okay. Uh -huh. And there's also a matter of like trading candy too. You go to school the next day, you bring the shit you don't like. Friends bring the shit they don't like. You trade candy. So this is like a whole economy in itself. Oh yeah. It's the Halloween underground. It's a lunch table. It's the next day. <laughs> You know what is super weird watching this movie now and watching what? most movies from this time period? It's all the smoking. It's just so weird to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. It, it's a bit jarring. It's even weirder when we see now the warnings, like the parental warnings on TV shows and that smoking is now one of them. Right. Yeah. I, I can't even wrap my head around that. <laughs> so Halloween is definitely probably top five favorite horror movies for me i'm not like a huge horror movie person mm -hmm. but i much prefer movies like this where they're like atmospheric horror you know what i mean 
Right, yeah. I'm not a fan of too many jump scares. Yeah, this is a lot like The Shining in terms of that slow building of dread, whereas like Halloween 2, that's a slasher movie. Okay. It's a different movie entirely, even though it takes place on the same night in the same place. As the first movie? Yeah, it picks up right where the first movie leaves off. Oh, I see. Okay. And this is, without a doubt, one of Hollywood's most recognizable film scores. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is certainly recognizable. Yeah, it never fails to give me chills. I always, though they're similar, I always know this one instantly rather than uh, Tubular Bells from The Exorcist. They're similar. But it always, if somebody mm -hmm. asks me, oh, play the theme to The Exorcist in your head, it takes me a minute. But Halloween, I got it. Always. Okay. It's crazy to think that was just John Carpenter on a piano for three days. Yeah. I mean, it's not very complicated. You can hear that. Exactly. But it works. It's no different than Jaws, you know? Keep it simple. Mm -hmm. That's one of the keys, I think, to truly scaring people. And that's one of the themes we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's dive in to this great cast of characters, shall we? Sure. All right. We'll start with uh, Donald Pleasance playing Dr. Loomis. It is crazy now, looking back, to think that this movie, the credits start with Donald Pleasance in. <laughs> he was the marquee name. Okay, I don't know who he is. You didn't recognize him. He looked familiar. He should. He's part of your James Bond watch. Oh, okay. He is one of the all-time great Bond villains. Blofeld. You only live twice. Right. Okay. Yeah, he was a legend. I'll be honest. The James Bond movies tend to blend after a bit. A little bit, yeah. I can't picture anybody but Donald Pleasance ever playing this role. Yeah, he does a very good job. Yeah. I'll say that. I, I really like him. Yeah, he's such an interesting character study. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I think the best part about Dr. Loomis is that he's not the hero. No, he isn't. In 1978, John Carpenter allowed a teenage girl to be the hero. That's amazing. <laughs> I want to shout it from the rooftops. <laughs> I mean, he did get the quote-unquote killing shot, but didn't really stick. Uh, no, no, definitely didn't stick since there are five more of these. <laughs> Just in this whole universe and then we have you know the ones that have come out now and then there are the rob zombie halloweens and yeah it's a whole thing wait how many movies are there in total there are 12 trust hollywood to milk any successful movie for all it's worth yeah my ass will still be there for halloween kills <laughs> i'm happy to be part of the problem this time mm -hmm. so dr loomis can really be looked at in two ways. And I'm sure people were of two minds about him upon first watching this movie back in the day. Mm -hmm. So he can be seen as a dedicated doctor who knows the truth about Michael and feels it's his responsibility to capture him before he kills anybody. I don't know. I don't get that vibe from him. Okay. What vibe do you get? Well, for me... He's certainly dedicated to ensure that Michael never sees the light of day, for sure. Yeah. But he seems to have, I feel like Dr. Loomis seems to have put Michael on this sort of 
evil pedestal where he is just beyond human in Loomis's mind of the sense of evil. And to be clear, the evil pedestal does have a snake's head for a base. (laughs) Okay. I totally see where you're coming from. You're absolutely right. But the thing is, in the end, he's right. Michael's going to kill a lot more people. Yeah, that's a conversation for the other movies. I'm talking about this movie itself, which, yes, he does kill. A bunch of people. A lot of people. Yeah. Yes. And he eats a dog. Yep. He eats yeah. a dog. Yeah. I forgot about that. I was very, very upset. I told my babies to look away. Yeah, when I heard that line, I immediately thought of you and thought, how is she so okay with this movie? Yeah, yeah. I blocked it. That's why. Not only does he eat a dog, but he kills another one. No. I know the eating is worse somehow because you got to kill it. Then, you know, you, you do both. You kill and eat. Yeah. And then you have to skin the body. Stop. That's, you enough. Have to skin. That's enough. <laughs> there's only, there's only one man in my universe who can get away with eating a dog. Been there, done that. Thank you. High rise. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> I totally get what you're saying. And that's why I think the casting of Donald Pleasance is so important because Any other actor would have made him too hammy and too melodramatic, you know? Yeah, yeah. He isn't hammy and melodramatic despite the dialogue, which is surprising. This isn't a man. (laughs) The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. Mm -hmm. Just so matter-of-factly. Yeah, and now I have a question about this. Wasn't... Like six-year-old Michael, blonde head, blue eyes. Yeah. Yeah, I know. So does evil, like, change the color of your hair and eyes? <laughs> I mean, that happens an awful lot in Hollywood. It drives me insane. We've talked about this. Not only when there's, like, a problem with family continuity, when you look at kids and like, there's no way they came out of you. There's no way you made those kids. That's not happening. Well, that could bring in some cheating or infidelity issues. But this was the same person. Yeah, yeah, it's a problem in Hollywood. You know, the one of the worst offenders I've ever seen with that is X-Men First Class. Okay. The idea that that kid playing young Eric grew up to be Michael Fassbender. I don't think so. <laughs> but yeah, any other performance, we would be rolling our eyes at Loomis. But he is proven right at every turn. And in that way, he reminds me a lot of Matt Hooper in Jaws. Okay. He is the one sounding the alarm and people are not listening to him. Mm -hmm. As is the case with all the scientists and the doctors in all the disaster movies. Yeah. Yeah. He's the expert. He knows what he's talking about. So listen. Mm -hmm. Well, you can't deny all these years we've been seeing these movies and experts have been poo-pooed. And we always thought, that's not going to happen. That happens. Now we know. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, he does sound like kind of a crackpot. Mm-hmm. He does. One of my favorite moments, though, and you can see he gets some, he gets a little glee out of it. And I've always wanted to do this to some shitty little kid. Hey, Lottie, get your <laughs> ass away from there. <laughs> yeah, he is having fun with this, <laughs> with the kids. <laughs> And then he almost shits his pants when the sheriff turns up. So the question becomes, it ties right into Michael. 
Loomis is right completely. Michael mm -hmm. is something either not of this world or something more or something less. So how does he know? Exactly. If Michael has not spoken for 15 years, how does Loomis know what's behind those dark eyes? Yeah, I love this. I love this shit. I love this eerie, <laughs> spooky, psychological stuff. Psychological stuff, sure, yes. That's why I did not shit my pants for this movie. So maybe it's because I listen to so many true crime and read so much serial killer fiction, but I just love the kind of cheesiness of, you know, the nature of evil, mm -hmm. feeling that energy of evil. But isn't that exactly what you would not like? Because they're conflating it to be not human, whereas serial killers are human. But in this sense, it's okay because he's not fully human. You see what I'm saying? That's why I do like it because so often the media does portray serial killers as, oh, pure evil. They're absolute monsters. They're people. Exactly. This is different because Michael is beyond that. He can't exist in the real world. Okay. So you're saying that in the terms of the movie that he's not human because he wouldn't be able to exist in this world. Yeah. Not because there's some lore that I missed that he's actually a demon spawn. Yes. Okay. You know, Richard Ramirez, he could run around Los Angeles and, and parts of California raping and murdering as much as he wanted, but bullets would have stopped him. You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, in his case, an angry mob stopped him, but he was stopped. That's, that's what counts. <laughs> that's why when Lori punctured him with a knitting needle and she just sat down. I said, what are you doing, girl? <laughs> and the presence of Loomis and Pleasance's performance, it adds so much atmosphere to the movie because he is the one always pushing on the true nature of Michael. It helps to heighten that tension. It helps to really villainize Michael, you know, and then we get the payoff. It's a lot like Silence of the Lambs where... You know, you have the buildup, just people talking about Lecter and how mm -hmm. scary right. he is. And then the movie delivers. Same thing here. Yeah. Loomis is someone who keeps it there, who keeps reminding us that he's not just some perv. Because for the most part of the movie, he's just staring at people. Yeah, there's a lot of staring at people. Yeah, we're going to get mm -hmm. into that. And one of the things that's so well done that really sets the tone in the whole atmosphere of the movie is that inmate breakout at the mental institution at Smith Smith's Grove. Right. Yeah. I was wondering about that. How the hell did that happen? Yeah. The classic dark and stormy night. And that's the thing. It doesn't matter how it happened. We don't need to know. Mm -hmm. It happened. Right. You know, Carpenter doesn't waste time with that. Seeing all of those inmates, because these are violent, insane felons. Mm -hmm. Seeing them just walking around in the night like zombies. Jesus. That's nightmare fuel. <laughs> Yeah, it is. And that's where that trope comes from, too. The idea of a breakout at a mental institution for violent criminals. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Give me that movie. I want to see all the other guys who escaped. There was, a, there was some nonsense on Criminal Minds years ago about that, where there was a breakout, mass breakout from a supermax prison, and the entire BAU was being targeted. <laughs> God, that show is stupid. 
And she still watched it. I did. Yes, I did. Yes. I know. I know I'm the worst. To be fair, I have not watched that show in like four years and don't intend to. Okay. And it's not just because I don't have Netflix anymore. (laughs) And Carpenter is also very selective with those musical things for Michael. Yeah. Yeah. I almost pee myself every time. (laughs) You know, the one thing that I did for this movie was I kept the volume low so that I didn't scare myself. Oh, were you able to hear Michael's breathing, though? Yes. Okay, as long as you were, because that's that's pretty important for atmosphere, too. That actually reminded me of the Riddler and the Batman. Yes. Or vice versa now, you know. Yep. Hey there, I'm Jules. I'm Lisa. I'm Matt. And we are the hosts of Eye for an Eye podcast. Each week we share a true crime case that truly fascinates us and discuss whether or not Eye for an Eye was met. Does the punishment fit the crime? Was it too harsh? Too lenient? Tune in every Monday to hear our thoughts and make sure to follow us on social media to join the discussion. You can find Eye for an Eye on all listening platforms by searching Eye for an Eye podcast. We hope to see you there. Back in the days when I ran my own web design business, I only backed up my important data on an external hard drive. Oh, the follies of youth. So when my brother dropped the hard drive and I lost three years of my life, I was devastated. Is he still alive? Yes, but I considered burying him under the floor. Once I stopped crying, I realized I needed a more reliable backup system. Enter Backblaze, the set it and forget it cloud storage solution. For $7 a month, Backblaze protects your most important data from life's little curveballs, like clumsy siblings, rowdy kids, and mischievous pets. And with its simple interface and easy setup, anyone can use it. I'm certainly proof of that. Sign up now for a 15-day free trial using the link in our show notes, which also helps support the Marvelous Madams. Backblaze. When it comes to data, they have your back. All right, so now let's talk about a woman who I don't think uh, gets her due as one of cinema's great heroines, and that is Miss Laurie Strode. Yeah, she was really good. I absolutely love the character of Laurie, and I love Jamie Lee Curtis in this movie. Mm -hmm. She's such a damn good kid. Yeah, she is. And she was a kid. They all were kids. How old was she? A teenager. Okay. She's super responsible. She's so sweet with Tommy. Like, even when she's not on the mm-hmm. clock. Yeah, she's, she's hanging out with him a little bit. And I like Tommy, too. He's a nice kid, just yeah. like we talked about with Hocus Pocus. He's not annoying. Yeah, that's true. Neither of the kids in this movie are annoying. No, Lindsay's sweet, too. Yeah. I kind of like Lindsay. <laughs> she's a smart girl. She doesn't take any crap. Mm-hmm. Isn't it interesting that Lori's talking about fate the first time she sees Michael out the window? You think that fate brought him to her? I think that's what the movie is telling us. Fate is immovable. Fate never changes. Uh Uh-huh. Then that would lend lend credence to the whole adopted sister thing. Oh, no, not necessarily. I didn't think of it that way. It's just the idea of like fate and destiny mixed in with the nature Mm -hmm. of evil. They pair well together like chocolate and cherries. Did you get a load of the poster in Lori's bedroom? 
Yeah, some I couldn't read the name, but yeah. This girl has a poster of like a 19th century Belgian painter in her room. Right, yeah. Where would one even find this? I don't know. <laughs> I'm wondering, like, was it just in the house that they were filming in? I don't think so. I think that it's very prominently shown. I think it's telling us what kind of a girl she is. I guess. I just can't really tell what kind of a girl she is from that. Someone who appreciates art. Very serious. Mm-hmm. Poor girl. She's also too tall for that twin bed of hers. <laughs> Parents need to get on that. Let's get this girl a bed that she can fit in. Well, after the hell that she's been through, she deserves one. Yeah, she's going to be getting a hospital bed. That that's her future. Uh-huh. And then a pad, and then a padded room for a little while. Ooh. Yeah. Well, it depends. It depends on what universe of movies you're looking at. Okay, we're not getting into that. We're discussing just this one movie that gets too confusing. Were you like kind of shocked when Lori smoked weed? I was, yes. I thought she was going to abstain. Yeah, and it just has me wondering. We have some older listeners out there who maybe were teens in the 70s. Please, I mean, tell us about this. I certainly know the history of, you know, policy about weed in the U.S., but, you know, I grew up in the 90s. I don't know what the culture around it was necessarily like in the 70s, but, uh, you know, like John Mulaney says, weed's always been legal for white people. <laughs> Not the hippies in the 60s, but at this, at this point in time, yes, it's definitely legal for, uh, for white girls. But I, I just, I was very taken aback by that. I was too. And the fact that she does end up coughing quite a bit says that she's not, she doesn't smoke that much. Yeah. Or maybe that was her first time she was trying to be cool. Yeah, that could definitely be. Mm -hmm. And I love every interaction that Lori has with these kids. When she tells Tommy she's not about to let anything happen to him, I believe her. Even yeah. even then, she would take a bullet for that kid. Mm-hmm. And she does protect them. Mm-hmm. I mean, the kids wouldn't be much more difficult to kill than a dog. Yeah, I give her so much credit for taking care of those kids. She absolutely could have run, saved her own skin, and been like, yeah, this ain't worth like 50 cents an hour. <laughs> I worked in childcare for a long time. I did mm-hmm. a lot of babysitting, nannying. I don't know if I'd have been that brave in her shoes with kids that weren't mine. Okay. It makes her such a noble character. It does. And it also tells us that she actually cares about them. And through the movie, at least before she starts babysitting, whenever she sees kids running around trick-or-treating, she always has a smile on her face. She does. You can just tell, oh man, she's going to be a great mom someday. Yeah. Or a teacher. She loves kids. And man... This had to be terrifying in the movie theater and so suspenseful because this was really the first movie of its kind. Nobody knew if Lori and the kids were going to survive this. Mm-hmm. I was worried. I had half my mind of texting you and asking you, please tell me Lori survives. <gasps> oh my God. That blows my mind that you didn't know that it wasn't like in your consciousness. It's a crazy I- idea. Yeah, no, not at all. I stay away from anything scary movie related. As much as possible. Okay, so Lori goes with the knitting needle and a hanger 
And that's really all she had. Uh, two of the worst weapons anyone could ever use. Okay. I I will say she had great aim with Hangar. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you're in a horror movie. What's your weapon of choice? A gun. Really? Provided I know how to use it. Yes. A shotgun. That's the key there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So I wouldn't go gun because I would be much more likely to have it used upon me or accidentally shoot myself because I wouldn't know what to do with it. Same thing with a knife. <laughs> All I can think about, I, I know, I know what would happen if I had a knife. I can't deal with it in movies when people get their hands around the blade. Uh-huh. Uh-uh. Right? Nope. Nope. Okay. But if your weapon of choice would be in your hand, you wouldn't have a hand on the blade. No, no. I don't want a knife. I don't want a gun. You give me a bat, I don't fuck shit up. <laughs> Can I choose sword? What are you going to do with a sword? Well, at least it keeps me at a more of a distance with my attacker. <laughs> okay. I guess. Yeah, and I could use it like a hacksaw. It would work. It's serrated? In this, in this, it's, it's... No, as in like I could just, I could use it like a hammer. You will be dead in five minutes. I know that. <laughs> So no weapon makes a difference for me. Oh, I will last longer with my bat. Thank you very much. Come on, Michael. Fuck around and find out, buddy. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that was jarring, because like Laurie Strode and Dr. Loomis are so linked in my mind. It gets me every time I watch this movie that they only share a few seconds of screen time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they don't meet. No. And they say like one line to each other. And I mean, the suspense was enough for audiences at that time, but the ending had to be just completely insane for 1978 viewers. Yeah. After being shot and then falling down a floor, the guy still disappears. And the evil is still out there. He may not be done. <laughs> all right. So now let's talk about the girls all together. Lori, along with Linda and Annie. Mm-hmm. So the girls do seem to genuinely be friends. Yeah, they're a bit annoying, but they're friends. Of course they are. They're teenage girls. <laughs> they're the worst people <laughs> in the world. Mm -hmm. And I do like the fact that Linda, who is this kind of dumb blonde cheerleader, you know, and popular girl. I like mm -hmm. that she's best friends with Lori. Right. Yeah. The wallflower, you know, the studious girl. Yeah, that's true. Because in a more typical setting, they would have made them frenemies at best right they might have done something like turning Lori into the frumpy friend to make linda feel better about herself you know right yeah but that's not the case i don't speak from experience no no not at all <laughs> i do wish though that linda wasn't blonde why because of the whole dumb blonde trope right Th okay. this movie didn't start that not not in any way but i think deborah hill did a great job with all the girls' dialogue. It's very natural. Yeah. And it's very day-to-day, -day, mm -hmm. you know? The kind of stuff that they would talk about on a daily basis and tease each other about and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's also, at the same time, building these characters, showing us who they are, making us care for them before shit hits the fan. Very much so. And even though it's a very simple script, it's still nuanced because... This could have been written in a very misogynistic way, but it's not. Mm -hmm. Right. 
because it's accurate. 17, 18 year old girls. Yeah, this is what they talk about. Half the conversation of kids that age is figuring out logistics of how they can get some and when and where. (laughs) Yeah. And all the teasing about boys and everything. It's never bitchy. No. Yeah, it's not bitchy. Although I have one question. Annie telling Ben Tramer that Laurie's into him. Was that real or was she just pulling her leg? I do think it was real. Okay. Because I think she would have told her if it wasn't. I think Lori had reached a point where if it was fake, she would have been like, I'm just kidding. So I do think she told Ben Tramer. Okay. All right. I, the only reason I wanted her to survive was so that I found out whether it was real or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big fan of Annie. Yeah, me neither. And it's funny you mentioned that because, oh, man, that one, the whole Ben Traver deal, that hits me right in the fucking chest, man, because, yep, that happened to me. You were into some Ben Traver? I was younger, though. I was only about 12 when I told the wrong girl who I liked. And within, you know, about five seconds, the whole, mm-hmm. the whole grade knew. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did he find out? Of course. Okay. Yeah. You've seen my face, so you could imagine how that went. Uh-huh. <laughs> I hit it all so well. Well, to be fair, it would not have been possible for you to hide it from the class anyways. All they had to do was just look at you while he was passing by. Uh, yeah. It didn't help that I sat next to him in sixth grade. Yeah. Our desks were connected. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. <laughs> How did your head not explode? I'm literally picturing you right now getting redder and redder because you actually do do that and just explode like a cartoon. Yeah, I know. It wasn't a fun year. Not at all. And I mean, <laughs> it should have been very fun, in fact. God, no. No. When you're 12, no, you just want to crawl in a hole and die. <laughs> Anytime anyone looks at you. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you know every girl has gone through something like that it makes this movie just so relatable mm-hmm. yeah some with guys some with girls so all that said i do have some issues with these ladies and i know you do too <laughs> yeah and this is where we really need you gen xers out there to help us out with this if we have any boomer listeners i know you guys would have been like teenagers in the 70s help us out here all right So my first question is, did any of you ever spill butter on yourselves at someone else's home and then immediately strip out of your clothing, use their washing machine and borrow their clothes? Yeah, that was a bit much. I mean, how much butter did she drop on herself? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I can understand if it was like a bucket full and she was slipping and sliding. And this isn't like a friend's house. She is working for this these people annie is babysitting and the way she is just making herself at home in this house oh no yeah exactly and would she seriously have been able to wash her clothes dry her clothes by the time the parents came back uh that's an excellent question there don't appear to be any parents in this movie that's another thing we're going to touch on so i don't know And doing an entire wash and dry of one pair of clothes for laundry is a bit much. Yeah, it's just butter. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. And you know what one of the top three rules of babysitting is? 
What? Keep your goddamn clothes on. <laughs> Especially when the father's around. And she just takes one of the father's shirts and puts it on? Are you out of yeah. your damn mind? And do we even know if it's a clean shirt or a dirty shirt? I wasn't even thinking about that. I thought about that. In my wildest dreams, I cannot imagine ha- having ever done this for anybody I babysat for. Yeah, exactly. And the way she was talking to the kid was a bit much. Yeah, I do not like Annie. She's not a bitch, like we said, but she's just one of those really whiny teenagers. Mm-hmm. And the way she was ordering Lindsay around. Yeah. And it's it's a really good performance by Nancy Keys in that regard. Yes, Be- definitely. Because she's juxtaposed with Lori, who genuinely cares about those kids. Right, yeah. And two, you know Lori is just socking away that babysitting money. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what one of them says. Right. For Annie, I don't think Annie even gives a shit about the money. For her, babysitting is just a means to an end. It's just a way to get a house for, to herself to screw around in. Right. She doesn't take the kids or the responsibility seriously at all. Yeah, she just basically wants the kid to be occupied. Yeah, and I think that feeds into one of the themes that we're going to talk about is the idea that, you know, what could go wrong? Mm-hmm. Happy little small town. Yeah, clearly a lot. Yeah, that's why I do prefer Linda. And Annie's kind of a user too. Like, I don't like the way she blackmails Lori into taking Lindsay too. Because mm-hmm. it's all about her and her boyfriend. Right. It's all she cares about. Right, exactly. So we're getting naked. We're putting on the dad's shirt. Now we're walking outside into the neighborhood in just a button-down shirt. Yeah. And then go attempting to drive out wearing nothing but a shirt. And she's leaving the child that she's supposed to be babysitting at a different house with someone else. Yes. I'd have gotten arrested if I pulled this shit. <laughs> Fired at the very least. Blackballed. Mm-hmm. Well, she did get what was coming to her in far worse ways. Yeah, I'm going to say here the punishment doesn't fit the crime. Yep, I agree. Jesus. <laughs> in a way, she saved Lindsay's life. She did. Yeah, you're right about that. Yeah, her irresponsibility saved this kid's life. Yeah, and to be honest, I mean, like we just said, punishment doesn't fit the crime, but I don't feel that bad when Michael pops out of the backseat and kills Annie. Okay, now this is another problem. She realizes the door is locked. She goes singing about her darling Paul, picks up the keys, floofs up her hair, and goes and then the door is unlocked. And she doesn't think about that. Yeah, that's a big problem. There's some stuff going on with locked doors and phones uh, that should or shouldn't work. Right. But if you go with it, it's fine. I've always been able to overlook it. Yeah, if you go with it, then she's stupid to not realize that the door should have been locked. How was it unlocked? And she just sat in. It's not that she's stupid. It's that she's not paying attention to her surroundings because all she can think about is getting some date. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, teenage girl. Yeah, true. And I do think, though, this murder is much more believable and scarier than the murder of Judith Myers. It's certainly more believable than uh, Michael's sister, but it's still not quite up there in terms of believability. Yeah. Especially with her eyes. Yeah, I will say, though, it looked pretty damn real for the actress. That had to be 
a little scary. I don't know mm-hmm. how much experience they would have had at the time with doing stuff like that. Sure, but I don't think it would have been scary because they would have been practicing and planning it or something. Still, any woman in a situation like that, it always makes me cringe a little bit for the actress. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fair. Because, too, that's another trope this movie started is the idea of somebody hiding in the back seat. Unfortunately, it gave people ideas. Oh, okay. You know, it's yeah. one of the first mm-hmm. things if you take a self-defense class, one of the first things they will tell you before you get in your car, check your back seat. Right. Yeah. I'm literally reading a book series right now where the last book I, I read featured uh, a serial killer who would hide in people's back seats. Do you not get tired of all this dark shit? No. I don't know what it says about me, but I kind of can't get enough of it. In another life, you probably were a serial killer. You know, I've never thought about that before. You might be right. (laughs) So let's talk about Linda and Bob. These two idiots. (laughs) The two of them, they are an accurate portrayal of teenage idiocy and trying to drunkenly figure out sexual logistics. Yeah. There's this one line that Bob says, I first rip your clothes off then you rip mine and then i rip Lindsay's clothes off i got so confused yeah yeah it's not supposed to be anything perverted it's just supposed to be a teenage idiot taking a joke too far and saying something stupid yeah that was i i honestly with my history with names i got confused i thought wait her name was annie am i wrong is that Lindsay? when i watched the second time then i said oh okay something's off here so Linda and Bob's escapades are even more outrageous than Annie's because these two just show up at a stranger's house and take it over. Well, Annie had told them to come. But still, this ain't their house, either one of them. This mm-hmm. is some rando's mm-hmm. house. Sure, they might know the person yep. in passing, but this is somebody else's house that they are taking over to have sex in. Mm-hmm. And in their bed! <laughs> And they were drunk. They drove drunk. They drove drunk and they must have stunk of it too. And they're just rolling around Mm -hmm. these people's houses, drinking their beer, Mm -hmm. smoking all over the place. But then again, this is the 70s house probably already smells like smoke. So maybe that's not so bad. (laughs) That would probably have covered up the smell of them in the bed. I don't know. But man, this is outrageous. Was this a real thing? Did people do this? I don't know, but it certainly makes me think twice about having a babysitter ever. Right? And you can't tell me this is the first time they've done something like this. I think it seems to be, because that's what Linda is telling Bob. I don't mean this particular house. I mean the logistics of finding places like this to have sex. Mm -hmm. There's no way. These kids are a little too good at it. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Kind of like serial killers, like when you can tell like what their first kill might be because of escalation. Like these kids know what they're doing. They've got some Mm -hmm. practice. Did you just compare teenagers having sex to a serial killer? Yes, I did. I mean, we are talking about Halloween, so I feel like that fits. (laughs) So my point is, there is no way these parents wouldn't notice that somebody had been in their house having sex. This is like... The grossest, darkest version of Goldilocks ever. Unless they cleaned up after themselves once they were done. Yeah, I don't really see that happening. (laughs) Not with these two. So what I'm saying is, 
are a lot of these parents who we never see, are they just okay with all this shit? It seems like the trading of the kids and and not knowing where the kids are sleeping, this seemed like a perfectly nonchalant, normal thing for them to do. Are we all just okay with this? I don't know. I mean, they must know each other. But still, like, I can't imagine being a parent and coming home to an empty house when you're expecting your sleeping kid and a babysitter. Yeah. But to be fair, Michael kind of fucked things up there. Oh, you mean leaving the bodies at all? Yeah. That and Annie was supposed to be alive. I mean, they were all supposed to be alive. Right. Now, we talked about the, the license plates, the palm trees, the light to dark, the doorknobs, all of that. I can, mm-hmm. I'm fine with all of it, but there's one thing I have to absolutely call bullshit on with this movie. Which is? The, quote, fantastic sex that Linda and Bob have. Nope. Yeah. Okay. Look, it's been a while for me, but that was a bit too soon. Yep. Yeah. Not just that, but teenagers, as a rule, they do not have fantastic sex because they don't know what the fuck they're doing. (laughs) Well, if they've been at it for a while. I'm still saying no. (laughs) You know where teenagers have fantastic sex? Where? In movies and some of the cheesy books I read. That's where. And that's the only place. Does not happen in real life. Okay. For the record, I do not read books featuring teenagers having sex. Occasionally, (laughs) occasionally the romantic suspense books that I read featuring all the serial killer stuff and all that. Sometimes they'll have flashbacks to when the two main characters, um, sometimes if they knew each other when they were like 18, 19, and it's just said that they had fantastic sex. And I'm like, no, no, that has never happened in the history of humanity. So Michael Myers being unkillable is totally realistic, but teenagers having fantastic sex cannot happen. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, basically. Okay. I believe Michael Myers could exist first. Good to know. All right. So before we get to Michael, I just want to say a few things about Sheriff Brackett. Every time I watch this, and I think Charles Cyphers is really good. Mm -hmm. Every time I watch the movie, even though I know who he is, what kind of guy he is, I'm always a little afraid of Sheriff Brackett. When we first meet him. Yeah, he does have that that vibe to him that he's not all that he seems. And especially when he bumps into Laurie, he gives off that slightly creepy vibe. Yes, he does. Because I think Carpenter wanted you to not be sure about him. Mm-hmm. And we're not. What helps though, so he, he gives off that creep vibe, but it's balanced out by the fact that Laurie's not afraid of him. Right. Clearly. Yeah. He just always made me nervous because you don't know what kind of man, father, and sheriff he'll be if all three of those will be the same, you know? Mm-hmm. Or if he compartmentalizes himself to, to be the sheriff in a small town like this. Right. Okay. And I think what it comes down to for me, and this might have been, you know, Hill's influence too, is that he's a male authority figure. Yeah. You sure. know? And they always make me nervous no matter what. <laughs> And, and let's just clear this one thing up. Yes, girls, of course he smelled the fucking weed in the car. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. How is he not reacting to this? I hate that smell. I hate it so much. <laughs> that's the worst thing about every concert I've ever been to. It's that somebody's got a light up near me every time and I hate it. Mm-hmm. I, can't even ta- I can't even stand the little aftertaste of my CBD oil in my mouth. Okay. But this scene made me wonder about Brackett too. 
would he let every nice looking teenage kid get away with this or just his daughter and her friend? I think the fact that it's his daughter and her friend being her daughter being the key, his daughter being the key word is why he's not reacting to this. Because if he were to, that would be in front of all his subordinates. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't imagine him, uh, him letting a few like ponytailed hippies get away with this. He doesn't seem like that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Maybe. But he does appear like a man who cares about his town. Yes. Which is why he's entertaining Dr. Loomis. All right. So let's talk about the man of the hour. <sighs> Michael. Michael. I've heard the name Michael Myers before many times. Of course you have. I finally met the man. This is not a man, Amy. <laughs> so what do you think of his mask? Uh, it's interesting. Not what you expect. Do you have any idea who that is a mask of? No. They purchased that mask for about $2. Mm-hmm. It is a mask of young William Shatner. No way. Look, <laughs> think about it. <laughs> okay. That's cool. And it is so perfect. It is so unsettling. It's one of the great, you know, costuming slash prop choices of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the costume for Michael Myers is not very difficult to get. No. Simple. Again. Yeah. So three different men actually portray Michael Myers in this movie. Yeah, which makes sense. The body language is very different. So, well, it's funny you say that because... The guy we see moving is one. Mm-hmm. The guy doing the movement is Nick Castle, who also came back for the 2018 film. Mm-hmm. The version that we see his face, where we see the mask just ripped off, that's Tony Moran. Mm-hmm. And occasionally, the production designer, Tommy Lee Wallace, stood in when mm-hmm. necessary. Yeah, but the guy you see moving, that's Nick Castle. But if you look at his movement through the movie, before he leaves uh, the hospital, while he's on the car, his movement is very different. Oh, that nurse. What a friggin' idiot. There's mental patients, dangerous convicted felons running around. Let me roll my window down. <laughs> and then he, he breaks the other side, to be fair. Did you catch the wrench? Yeah. <laughs> I never noticed before. I saw it. And I was wondering, what is that thing in his hand? Yeah. So if you look closely in that scene at Smith's Grove, there is a wrench that is taped to Michael's hand to help him break that window. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, and I think that's out of necessity. I mean, just walking around is a lot different from trying to get on and off a car. Mm Mm-hmm. But before that, we had the first murder in Haddonfield and a bit of trivia. So Deborah Hill named Haddonfield after her own hometown, Haddonfield, New Jersey. Really tells you what she thinks about her town. (laughs) I understand. (laughs) So the murder of Judith Myers reminds me a lot of the shower scene in Psycho. And it it Mm -hmm. definitely seemed like an homage to me. Yeah, it certainly did. Yeah, we have a naked woman being stabbed to death in a place she thinks she's safe. Okay, what woman, what girl would be completely naked with the door open right near the window, combing her hair after sex? I don't know. I can't say I was ever in her position, nor did I have her, we'll say, attributes. 
So, yeah, yeah, her attributes were another thing that I was wondering about. <laughs> Did they use a Barbie doll and just put a human face on her? Yeah, yeah, and no disrespect uh, to the actress there, but on the contrary, um, yeah. What I'm saying is, I can't really. <laughs> I can't put myself in those shoes or that cup size. So. <laughs> well, she doesn't have shoes, so underwear. Yeah. So, yeah, the staging of it is a problem. And the murder itself is really poorly executed. Extremely poorly executed. They just put some ketchup on her and called it a day. Yeah. And you know what, Judith? I get that you're on like your post-coital haze here or whatever <laughs> from from what was probably i'm sure fantastic sex but um it lasted all of 10 seconds yeah yeah let's um let's uh put a little fight into this shall we against this six-year-old exactly and the way she was moaning and falling this start, <gasps> this seemed like the beginning of a porno michael michael fucking drop kick him across <laughs> the goddamn room <laughs> Or just, you know, shove him. Yeah, yank the knife out of his hand. I don't know. Any number of options here. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's funny you said ketchup, but there's no blood. Yeah, there's a little bit of blood on Judith. But besides that, there's no blood on anyone else. No. Which is weird. And it's not like Michael's in a crazy frenzy either. He's moving very slowly, as he always does. Yeah. Slowly, methodically. Yeah. And I wonder what 1978 audiences thought when they saw that the killer was a little boy. I mean, it certainly adds to the shock value to the movie, for sure. Yeah. When you see it for the first time and you see Michael killing his sister, it's obviously very poorly acted, but it seems plausible till you see it's a kid. And then when you see it for the second time, it does not work. Yeah. And that's another reason it reminds me a lot of the shower scene in Psycho, don't kill me, everybody, but I'm sorry. It's just, it doesn't hold up. No, it doesn't. No. But that's the case with so many things. You know, we improve over time when it comes to any kind of art. Yeah. This is a kind of art. Like, how do you make killing look more realistic? Absolutely. And, you know, I would really like to have a chat with Michael's kindergarten teacher. Okay. I want to see that interrogation. I want to see that movie. What was going on in that classroom? Yeah, and also, how do the parents have no clue? Yeah, they just call mom Michael, and he's just standing there dead-eyed holding a knife. Right, and the knife is not all that bloody as it should be. Yeah. And he had no blood on him. But that kind of adds to the mystique, too, of not who is, but what is Michael Myers. Mm -hmm. I really want to know his, like, what's going on in his head. Yeah, and oh, that has been analyzed and dissected seven ways to Sunday. Because we could ask a lot of questions here, starting with his escape from Smith's Grove. Did he take that car because it was handy or was it a calculated decision to steal a state vehicle so it wouldn't arouse suspicions in the neighborhood? Right. It always comes back to that. How much can Michael think? I think he can think fairly well. He does stalk his prey and kill them one at a time he does he's very methodical like you said and he is also aside from being unkillable he's got super strength yeah which we see for the first time 
in a great jump scare when Michael pops out of the closet and kills Bob. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's when we get the infamous head tilt. And man, this is this is the thing that has spawned thesis papers and documentaries and just so much needless commentary, I say, as we continue to needlessly <laughs> comment on it. <laughs> yeah, that head tilt is very intriguing. What do you think it means? I don't know what Michael is thinking, but if it were me, I would think, how, how do I place this artistically? That's a real possibility that I'd never considered. This is why perspective is important, guys. And it also does not say anything good about me. Well, I don't look great here either because I'm a ghoul. So <laughs> my immediate reaction is always, oh, is he admiring his work? No, no. Or is he curious? Is he looking at, oh, this is human. Human is dying. What is human feeling? I don't think he gives a shit about what the human is feeling at all. For me, it, it seems like, what should I do next with this? How do I make this more pleasing for me? Well, you may be right there because it's kind of answered on the B side with this ghost disguise. Mm -hmm. This was completely unnecessary for his plan. Yeah, I mean, to a point, he needed to get close enough to her to strangle her. But he didn't have to stand there staring at her. He's unkillable and he has super strength. He could have just walked up to her and strangled her. Yeah, but she would have started running or screaming. So? It's inconvenient. Not really. Nobody's around. They're in the house alone. True. He draws it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he does. What I think here is that he enjoys that slow buildup of fear. There was a serial killer like this, uh, one of the really infamous ones, H.H. H. Holmes. This was kind of his MO. He enjoyed tricking women into their mm -hmm. own deaths. Like he had um, in his murder castle in uh, Chicago, and you, you can read, <laughs> it was a murder castle. He built a murder hotel in Chicago, and you guys can read all about that in Devil in the White City if you want. He had a safe, a big like walk-in safe in his office on the second mm -hmm. floor. And he used to kill women in that safe. He would lock them in there as they slowly suffocated. He would gas them and okay. he would trick them into it. He would be like, Oh honey, he would do this to his wives. Sometimes he had a bunch of those. Oh honey, I need something in the safe. Can you get it out for me? And he'd lock them in. Oh, Oh, I'm so sorry. It's locked. Oh, let me, I'll have you out in a minute. And he would prolong it. And let them get more and more scared and mm -hmm. take a while of that slow build, just enjoying it and doing other things uh, while hearing their screams yeah. and, you know, listening to all that. Mm -hmm. That's what Michael reminds me here, reminds me of here in this moment. Like, oh, he's, he's kind of a sadist. Yeah. In fact, I'm glad you brought that up because I was thinking towards the end of the movie when Laurie is hiding in the walk-in closet and he he's punching through the door to try to get to her. I couldn't help myself but think he's been building up to killing her the whole movie, the whole night. But his payoff is so quick. Why is he not extending it more? Here's another question. Mm -hmm. Michael had the knife downstairs. He killed Bob with it. 
and he moves that mm-hmm. body. He ends up moving the body. So it's not like he, you know, cared about it being seen that way. Why does he strangle the girls? But stabs Bob. Mm-hmm. He strangled Annie, but he also sliced her throat. That's what killed her. Right. Okay. So with Linda, he chooses to strangle Linda and not use the knife, which I think is interesting because if he were to stab Linda to death, you could have said, oh, there's phallic interpretations there, you know, because they just had sex mm-hmm. and all of that. But he chooses to strangle her instead. And to be fair, I don't think Carpenter put a lot of thought into that stuff. I don't. Yeah, I think that it unintentionally became such a compelling movie and character that people can't help but think too much about it. Yeah, and he has said himself, he did not intend to start tropes. He didn't intend to create any of the cliches around sex and all that. He said, I just wanted to make a scary movie. And he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We ruined it. <laughs> In fact, when the movie started, we see these two teenagers making out. I thought to myself, and we start with every horror movie with two teenagers making out. Sometimes. Depends on the kind of horror movie you're making. Mm-hmm. But it is a trope. Oh, sure. In horror movies. Sure. And one of the best bits of tension building in this movie is the idea that we just never know where Michael is lurking, but we know he is. Yeah, he's always there in our minds. Yeah, even when we haven't seen him do anything yet, it's because of everything Loomis has told us about him. Exactly. Yeah. And the fact that Michael poses these bodies for Lori to find is more proof that he does think. Yes, he absolutely does. I feel like he posed Annie and Bob more than he did with Linda. He just kind of stuffed her in. Yeah, he might have been running out of room. Probably. You should have spread out to the whole house, you know, made it like a murder house. Yeah, I mean, you've got the space. Use it. Exactly. I still jump every time we see Michael in the doorway behind Lori. There he is, a silhouette behind her. Jesus, every time. (laughs) Yeah, you can only see part of the mask. Yeah, because that's when the score kicks in and here we go with the final act. Right, yeah. And poor Lori too. It's like, why me? And that's a big part of this movie too. That And fuck the retcon for that. Because that's one of the nebulous things of why is he after this girl? What made him focus on Lori and Tommy to a point too? We do see that she's the one who leaves the key at the house. Yes. So was that basically the one person he saw and he just sort of started obsessing over her and it was just a case of bad timing? Yeah, could be. Or he saw her with Tommy. And made a connection between him and Judith. The ages were about right. Mm-hmm, right. So maybe she was a surrogate in his mind. Probably. Or at one point I was wondering, does Laurie look like his sister? Which, at least with the cup size, absolutely not. No, she doesn't. <laughs> she does. She does look an awful lot like Tony Curtis, though. <laughs> which makes sense. Mm-hmm. And all through this final act, a big part of Michael's terror is that he never rushes. Yeah, yeah. She is panicking to get into the house and he's just calmly walking around. As if it's set in stone. Yeah, he's going to get her. Yeah. And Nick Castle apparently didn't know how to 
portray this. He didn't know. He went to mm-hmm. Carpenter. What is my motivation here? What am I supposed to be thinking or feeling? Carpenter told him, just walk. <laughs> and it works. Mm-hmm. And Michael also has the reasoning ability to play possum here with Lori while she has the knife on him. Because she doesn't know he's unkillable. Yeah. We don't even know yet that he's yeah. unkillable. And he did that twice. Yeah. And this is another instance of him prolonging that moment. Mm-hmm. Lulling her into a false sense of security. Yeah. That's why when he fell after the needle, I was like, what the fuck? After all this one puncture? Come on. Well, I'm also wondering, does Michael know he's unkillable right away? I don't know. Michael, if you're out there, we'd love to have you on for our uh, studio session series. No, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. I quit. Bye bye. Yeah, so when he gets up, oh man, the way Castle moves there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He just gets up like a robot. Yep. Like he's just been launched by something. Mm-hmm. And poor Lori is too traumatized to move. Jamie Lee is just fantastic in this third act. She is. She's amazing. And I have to say, during this third act, maybe they changed hairdressers or something. Her hair looks amazing. <laughs> Yeah, she's got good hair. Always has. Yeah. I like it better short, though. Her classic, uh, more pixie style. Right. Yeah. And I've always wondered about Carpenter's choice here to show Michael's face. Mm-hmm. And he's a good looking guy. I mean, he's all right. He's not a he's not a ghoul. Yeah. He's not a goblin. Exactly. Right. He's a normal looking guy. Right. And that was his point. He looks... Yeah, that was the point. Like through the movie, he has this mask on. He's faceless. He's this faceless face of evil. And suddenly you see this totally normal looking guy. It's an interesting choice because he isn't quite human. He's something more or something less. But with that human face, you know, it's it's like what we talked about with the serial killers. A lot of times people want serial killers to look like the monsters they are. Unless you're one of those psycho women out there who, who enjoys it. You know, people don't want killers to look like Ted Bundy because that makes them yeah. all the more terrifying. Terrifying and confusing. Yes, exactly. The Holocaust survivors have said the same thing about um, monsters like Joseph Mengele. Mm-hmm. So even after seeing this movie so many times, I just don't know how I feel about that choice. I don't know if I like it or not like it. It is what it is. I think... Because I haven't seen the other movies, so I don't know about the Michael Myers unkillable lore. But for this movie itself, if you take it as is, as a standalone movie, showing his face is a good idea because it it tells us that he's just human. But yet at the same time, he doesn't die for some reason. He's like a cockroach. Yes. Yes, he is. And I'm not sure which one I'd rather come face to face with, to be perfectly honest. Cockroach. Cockroaches are killable. I have done that many times. And I've eaten one too. I knew! Damn it! I knew she was going to do it. I knew it. I knew it. I was trying to just move on and ignore it. And I, damn it, I didn't move fast enough. (laughs) Now, I have to explain this. No, you will not. Yes, I have to. I mean, you can't just say I ate a cockroach and leave it at that. (laughs) 
ladies and gentlemen, she took her headphones off so that she does not have to listen to what I'm saying. Anyways, I'm going to say it anyways to clarify with you guys so that you guys don't think I'm some kind of weirdo. I was maybe two or three years old when my mom was cooking and, and I was playing with the pots and pans and I saw a cockroach running by and apparently I just popped it into my mouth. That's it. That's the story. I was two years old. So let's now talk about some of those tropes and themes that we've hinted at so far. So a big one is voyeurism. Mm -hmm. The opening scene of this movie is that long tracking shot that appears to be a single shot, but it's not. It's just well edited. Right. Yeah. So this concept of voyeurism begins immediately. We have young Michael watching his teenage sister making out with her boyfriend. Mm -hmm. So I got to wonder... Is this kid a peeping Tom already at six years old? Yeah, I mean, you can't help but wonder about that because the connection between sex and murder is so strong over here. Yeah, and I mean, it is in real life too. Right. Quite often amongst uh, serial killers. And I got to wonder, like, how many times has he done this? How many times has he watched his sister inappropriately? Yeah. And I think I've mentioned this too uh, in some past episodes. I can't remember which. But I think Carpenter was spot on with his backstory for Michael because voyeurism is often a precursor to serial rape and serial murder. Is it? Oh, God, yes. Being a peeping Tom for the longest time, and I mean, still a little bit today, but for the longest time was seen as just boys being boys, you know? Mm -hmm. But it is a major red flag behavior. It's a foundational okay. kind of thing where they escalate because it starts as voyeurism, it escalates to breaking into the house, it further escalates into stealing garments, and eventually, mm -hmm. if they're not caught, if they don't get it under control, it will lead to rape, and then it, that will lead often to murder. Okay, all right. You look at the histories of a lot of serial killers, a lot of them were peeping tops. Oh, okay. Yeah. So if that's something, that's a behavior that, should be taken very, very seriously in kids. Well, in that case, if Michael was a peeping Tom, if his parents knew about it, that makes his sister even more stupid to be just sitting there naked. Yeah. With the door open. Yeah, I mean, let's not blame the murdered girl too much. True, but still, she did a very bad job. I can't help but blame her. <laughs> blame Carpenter for that too. That was a major directional issue. Okay. And... It's not just that one scene. I mean, with Michael, it's constant voyeurism. He's watching everybody in this movie and he's watching them all when they think they're safe. Yeah. They're in their homes, they're at school. And then we have Michael again watching the foreplay with Bob and Linda. He clearly likes to see people getting some. Yeah, he certainly does. But I was confused about Tommy. He saw these kids were bullying him. And Tommy runs away and he just grabs Tommy and then lets him go. I don't think he actively wanted to kill a kid. I think maybe he saw himself in Tommy. Sure. But why grab him in the first place? Why try to intervene in some way? Didn't Tommy just run into him? Right. Tommy was running away and Michael caught him for a second and then let him go. Oh, I took it as like... That's what you do sometimes if a kid just runs into you, you kind of just grab them for a second. Like I took it as more, not okay. Michael grabbing him, but uh, Tommy just running into him. 
because he wasn't watching where okay, he was going. All right. Okay. And of course, we've been talking a lot about the nature of evil. Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. <laughs> There's a trailer line, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to think about this movie, too, in context of what was going on in the 1970s. That was like the serial killer boom in America. Right. So people were starting to understand that this kind of evil existed, but they were still mm -hmm. thinking it was happening in big cities or like college towns. Back then it was like, all right, you had Son of Sam in New York. You had like four or five different serial killers in Santa Cruz, California. You had Gacy in Chicago. This movie brought the evil into suburbia more. What was in the water in the U.S. at that time? Why did you have so many serial killers? Lead, my dear. Seriously? Dead serious. There are, it is more than a theory. It has been essentially, I can't say proven definitively, but look this up, guys. Read about the lead argument for levels of violence and murder all over the world. It is absolutely fascinating. It discusses the serial killer boom and also the murder boom in general in the US in the 70s, violence in the Middle East. It really explains so much, not about violence and murder, but also the entire boomer generation. It's for real. Because back in the 50s in the US, gas was still leaded. So there's a reason they call it unleaded gasoline now, because at one time it, mm -hmm. it had lead in it. Right. But you're not drinking. No, it was in the air. So essentially, uh -huh. that whole generation full of lead poisoning. And one of the hallmarks of lead poisoning is increased violence and aggression. And if you look at the numbers, okay. we stopped using leaded gas and made it unleaded. And it takes like, there's like a 20 year, like not half-life, but like it takes 20 years to dissipate. So you can watch the rise and fall of violence and terrorism and murder all over the world. You can look at the numbers and see the rise and then fall that 20 years after they stop using leaded gas. Okay. I thought I was making a joke. No. This turned into a history lesson. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so yeah, this was the movie that really had people at least thinking like, oh, maybe we should lock our doors. That's generally a good idea, you know, no matter what, wherever you are. I did not grow up uh -huh. in one of those neighborhoods. No, no. The door stayed locked. Yeah. You just told me a couple of months ago that you left your car unlocked and I freaked at you. Yeah, because I was standing 50 feet away in the dog park looking at my car Still. at six o'clock in the morning. Still. <laughs> so another thing I want to touch on, and this is the contribution of Deborah Hill, I think, is the idea of a woman ignoring her gut instincts. Mm -hmm. dismissing what she sees because people tell her she's crazy. Right. Yeah. And that's what Lori does. Yeah. And it's not that Lori's friends are gaslighting her. They're not. They're just not believing her. Right. Because they didn't see it themselves. Had they seen Michael, they probably would have reacted in a different way. Yeah. And it's this whole idea that a woman doesn't know her own mind, her own eyes, when in the end, she is right. She is. But I find it interesting that First, Lori's freaking out, and then she tells herself, okay, you know what, this is ridiculous, stop it. And then when Tommy's telling her it's the boogeyman, she doesn't believe him. Of course she doesn't, because if she does, then it's real. Yeah. And then it has to be dealt with, and then you might die. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and Lori here was lucky enough to survive. But in the real world, so many women who ignore their instincts or see red flags as romantic gestures or who aren't taken seriously by law enforcement or their community often end up hurt or dead. Yeah. And poor Lester, the German shepherd. What did he do? He was actually warning everyone. He, he certainly was. And that's another thing, people. Men and women alike. Everybody. Listen to your pets. Animals know when danger is present. Mm-hmm. Always listen and pay attention. If they act weird or they bark at shit, yeah, it could be a shadow. Sure, it could be the mailman. <laughs> okay? As it is often as in my house. But it could be somebody looking to hurt you. Mm-hmm. So just be aware. Yeah. Okay, so the last thing I want to touch on is, as we mentioned, the total lack of adults. Uh-huh. It's, it's just Loomis and the sheriff. Yeah, I think the reason there are no adults in this movie is because they probably would have charged more than the teenagers as actors. I mean, that could be part of it, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it might say something else, too. Whether, whether Carpenter intended it or not, it spoke to me from a generational standpoint of Mm -hmm. these kids were left to fend for themselves right and the one time lori tries to get help she knocks on that neighbor's door screaming for help what does that bitch do yeah yeah they just close the blinds and leave her to herself this clearly frantic injured girl oh in this nice small town i like this because it says to me small towns aren't so neighborly after all you know, mm-hmm. they're no better than those sinful city dwellers. <laughs> uh, yeah, because at the end of the day, whether you're from a small town or a large city or whichever part of the world you're from, people are people. Yeah. And people tend to be shitty for the most part. Beware of people who love to tell you what good Christians they are. Yep. Always. And that goes for pretty much any religion. Yeah, seeing the kids running around by themselves in this movie, it reminded me of a lot of when I worked at a grocery store in high school. Mm -hmm. After 5 p.m., it was all kids working there. And the only adults were our two front-end supervisors. And man, thinking back, we ran those poor people ragged. And I was one of the good ones. (laughs) And I was still a nightmare. Teenagers are a nightmare. It's, It's just in the DNA. Yeah, I mean, when I was holding my nephew a couple of weeks ago, just cuddling him and just looking at him being, thinking, oh, God, you're going to be horrible one day. So I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to cling to this as long as I can. Yes. And I speak from experience. Enjoy it as long as you can. Yeah. I'm like, oh. Kids are the sweetest and the loveliest till they start talking. Yeah. It helped that he can't talk yet. Yeah. That was yeah. a big plus. Yeah. Okay, so that wraps up our day here with Michael Myers. Thank God, because I do not want nightmares. All right, so out of six possible Infinity Stones, Aim, how many do you give Halloween? I want to give it a zero just because I do not like being scared, but that would be unfair. I would give it five out of six. I also give it a five out of six. It's a classic for a reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Such effective simplicity. And I mean, this movie did so much, for better or worse, for film. I mean, it launched horror as a mainstream genre. 
Yeah, I think I should deduct a point for that. <laughs> I'm making it four out of six. Why do people like being scared? I don't understand. It's a primal thing. It's the same way like sex and violence go together. Yeah, but I like my sleep. Thank you very much. I mean, I'm like that. So I get it. I am afraid of scary movies, but I also kind of like being scared. No, thank you. All right. So a little housekeeping to polish things off here. Thank you so much to everyone who has donated to my uh, GoFundMe campaign for the, all right, the National Women's Studies Association Annual Conference. There we go. Yes. So I am a presenter at one of the uh, premier uh, feminist conferences in the country, giving a presentation on uh, women's representation in the Spider-Verse. And I could use some help uh, with the travel expenses getting there. So the link for my GoFundMe is in the show notes. I'd appreciate any contribution you can make or just even sharing the campaign on your social media. Yeah. And speaking of sex and violence, it's time for a fap. That was good. <laughs> that was good. Yeah. So don't know if you guys have noticed, but uh, Twitter has been having some issues lately that um, almost killed you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we initiated the uh, Podcaster Heart Attack Prevention Program. Right. P-H-A-P. Yeah. We're just being idiots. It's just an email list. <laughs> uh, please join our email list so that we can stay in touch should, you know, social media go boom. Yeah, which it did uh, a few weeks ago when for 24 hours, <laughs> Twitter just lost all our followers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hence, she was almost going to die. Yeah. She actually, you know, sent me a message saying, hey, there's a big problem. I was like, wait, what? What happened? Yeah. Yeah. And on her side, everything <laughs> looked fine. So that helped. But still. Yeah. Social media is unreliable, guys. We want to always be able to stay in touch with you. So join up. We will not spam you. We promise. Yes. So over on Patreon, the October Gump Files is out already. Yeah. We are talking about Halloween, but not the movie. Mm -hmm. It's another history lesson. <laughs> I love my history. See, I'm good with that. Minus the scary bits. And at the $10 level, our October episode of Tea with the Madams comes out next week. Yes. And that is thankfully not a scary episode. So yeah, to access all that bonus content, head over to our Patreon. Links in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much for joining us at the movies today. I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. Let us know what you think about the original Halloween on Twitter and Instagram at the Madam's Pod and follow us there to get a hint for our next episode. And please promise me no jump scares. <laughs> and guys, if you also go to see uh, Halloween Kills this weekend, let me know what you think. Yeah, uh, not me. No. We share a Twitter account. Get over it. I'm going away from Twitter, but I am on our website, themadamspod.com where Infinity Stones will always be a girl's best friend. He's been blown up. He's been sent to space. So many things have happened to him. He's been crushed by shit. He's been riddled with bullets. Michael Myers cannot be killed. <laughs> so I look forward to seeing how he is actually killed. Because there's got to be a way. That's the point. There's got to be a way, you know. The power of Jesus. <laughs> oh, my God. If that were, I'd burn down the movie theater. <laughs>
Let me know if that happens. Yeah. <laughs>